Hey friends, I just wanted to hop on here for those who aren't able to make it to, uh, to Radiant on Sundays. And so we've been having an amazing time in a series going through the ministry of Jesus. Really our anchor passage has been Matthew 4, 23 through 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And so what we've been doing for these last, I don't know, eight weeks or so, is we've been just walking through those amazing promises and that, that, that manifest the, the ministry of Jesus uh, and just walking through them slowly. So, for example, Jesus went, Jesus taught. Today, we're going to look at Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healed, news spread, and people responded. And so what, what we've been really just exploring is that the that we do not have a ministry outside of the ministry of Jesus. John Wimber used to say, I don't have a ministry. Jesus has a ministry, and he invites us to participate in that. And so those who might say, no, 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 Chad, that's, that can't be true. So the book into Matthew 4, 23 through 25 is Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And look what Jesus is praying here. Jesus went, first of all, it's a re-summary. Yeah, bookend. Jesus went through all the towns, sound familiar? In the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. There it is again, the same as Matthew 4. Matthew's telling us something. Look what he goes on to say. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Matthew 4, 23 through 25, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It's this bookend, this little snapshot of Jesus' entire ministry. When he taught, he went, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, he brought healing and news spread, and people's lives were changed. So we are invited to join the ministry with Jesus Christ. This is unbelievable that we get to participate in the kingdom ministry of Jesus. So we have to ask, what did it mean when he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom? What was this message and ministry? What was it all about? Dallas Willard helps us a ton. He's a philosopher, a theologian. He was an amazing man of God. Jesus came as the kingdom bringer. His gospel was the availability of the kingdom. His purpose was to manifest the kingdom. His one command was to pursue the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And his one plan was to extend the kingdom. Now, before we go any further, the kingdom of God is, is anyone's kingdom is the, the, the realm or the, the reality of one's effective will, where what a person wants or wills or wishes is being done. And so in God's case, the kingdom of God is where who God is, what God wants, what God wills, 
God's wisdom and ways are being manifest, they're being done in real time when God's will is being carried out in real time. I say it like this after reading a bunch of books back to back to back on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's empowering presence, filling, forming, and flowing through God's people in every place they practice and proclaim the way of the king. So this is the entirety of Jesus' ministry and life in some way, shape, or form is related to the kingdom of God, what God wants and what God wills being done on earth as it is in heaven in real time through concrete actions, through his words, through his ministry. So Jesus' entire life is about the kingdom of God. And so if we're going to join the ministry with Jesus, we're invited into his kingdom. Now, how does this look Practically, he goes on to say, Jesus' ministry were primarily about three things. Proclaiming the availability of the kingdom of God to everyone, enter it regardless of their standing in life, to teach what it was like and to manifest its presence in events that could not be explained in a natural way. He proclaimed it, it was available, enter it by repentance and faith, follow me. He taught what it was like and then he manifested or demonstrated what it was like through means that could not be explained through natural means. So if you think about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, none of it makes sense through natural means, human means. To love your enemies, to give your shirt and your coat, to go two miles instead of one, to not look lustfully after a woman, but to honor her as an image bearer of God, to not have to swear and make huge oaths in your pride, but just to let your yes be yes and no, no, to turn the other cheek, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you, to pray and not want to be some superstar, to fast and not tell anybody. You get the point, the whole thing, to not judge and to judge ourselves first, taking out our planks from our own eye instead of the speck in our brother's eye, to enter through the narrow, you get the whole point. I, are you kidding me? None of this is possible through natural human means. And so Jesus' entire life, what he taught, what he proclaimed, what he demonstrated, all of it's an invitation to experience a life we could never experience on our own in our own power. And so we come to the greatest invitation ever given to humanity. Look what it goes on to say in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Jesus invites us into his kingdom by way of relationship, carrying his yoke, coming under his life-giving love and leadership and lordship, learning directly from him who is the very author of life itself. He is life itself, learning how to live a new pace with new priorities, new purposes, new practices, all learning directly from King Jesus himself. This is unbelievable. So we have to ask, if we're in the yoke with Jesus, what is Jesus pulling? To be in the yoke, this is Willard again, with Christ is to pull his load with him. And what is his load? Quote, it is to bring the reign of God into ordinary human life. That is why Jesus came the way he did and lived the way he did and died the way he did. In the midst of a world of ordinary human life, he was pulling the load of bringing the kingdom of God into ordinary human life. That was his message. 
And his message was to everyone. To pull Christ's load with him is to bring the reign of God into ordinary human life. This is remarkable. So again, to summarize, Jesus went, Jesus taught, Jesus proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He healed every disease and sickness. News spread, crowds flocked, people followed, some resisted, some responded. And in the midst of all of this, at the end of this whole section of Matthew, Matthew 9, Jesus is praying for co-workers, for laborers to join his kingdom ministry. So this applies to us is what I'm trying to say. We're invited to join ministry with King Jesus. So for the rest of this talk, we're going to look at Jesus and how he pulled the kingdom of the reign, the rule, and the reality of God's kingdom into ordinary human life through his ministry, how he proclaimed the kingdom and how he demonstrated the kingdom. This is just absolutely remarkable. So Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is approached by a leper and he reaches out his hands and he says, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the lepers, the leprosy was cleansed from this man. And so what we see here is Jesus touches the untouchable and he brings the reign and rule and reality of God's kingdom to bear in a, a man's body who was ravished from this highly infectious disease that caused you to be ostracized and alone and alienated from your family. And Jesus touches him and he's bringing the load of God's kingdom reign and rule to bear in this man's body. This is a rapid fire part of the message. It goes on in Matthew 8. A Roman centurion has a sick servant. He says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. And here we see Jesus bringing healing, the rule and reign of God's kingdom. He's bringing that load into bear with a word. Touch, word. Jesus is proclaiming and he's demonstrating the superior reality of the rule and reign of God's kingdom. This is what his whole ministry in life is about. Let's keep going. Later on, Jesus touches Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. And then when evening came, many were demon-possessed, were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed all the sick. With a touch and with a word, sickness is healed and demons flee. Again, Matthew is making a point. On the heels of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaching, now Jesus is proclaiming and demonstrating what the kingdom of God, what his rule, reign, and reality looks like on earth as it is in heaven in real time through the person and work of Jesus. This is so strategic on Matthew's part. It's this snapshot of what we're invited into if we're Jesus' disciples. Let's keep going. This is, again, super fast. The, Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, the storm, the waves are crashing over the lake, uh, over, the, over their boat. They're freaking out. Jesus is asleep because he's living out of a different reality on the earth, but he is bringing heaven's reign and rule to bear on the earth. And so he's able to sleep through the storm because he's, he's not affected by the same things we are when we live from a purely human mindset in the kingdoms of this world, the world, the flesh, the devil. So he's sleeping, but he wakes up because the disciples are freaking out. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? He gets up. He rebukes the winds and the waves, and it was completely 
calm. Here we see Jesus calming the raging storms with his voice. So, so far, he's had a, with his touch, he's driving out sickness from a leper. With his word, he is, he's driving out the demonic realm. With a touch, he's healing Peter's mother-in-law. With his voice, he's calming. He has authority over nature. Storms are stilled. It goes on in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, two demoniacs, he meets them on the shore. He just says to them, go. So the, the demons came out, went into the pigs. They rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they died in the water. Demons are driven out with one word. And like a net, neck break pace, Matthew is making a point as he is in the ministry of Jesus and watching all of this and recalling all of this as he's writing his gospel under the Spirit's inspiration and power. This is what the kingdom of God looks like through Jesus's ministry. Word, touch. He's, he's bringing the load, the reality of God's rule and reign into ordinary human life through means and measures that are not explainable simply by human resources. This is what he's communicating to us. It goes on. In light of all of this, does his disciples ask, when they were, they were amazed in Matthew 8, 27, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? They're shocked that a man who disrupted their whole life in Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22, when, they, when he asked them to follow him, and now he's growing his discipleship base, more and more are following. And in Matthew 9, we're going to see when he actually calls Matthew. But they're... Their question is not, oh, whoa, cool, God does great things. Obviously, God does great things. He parts the Red Sea. He, he feeds the Israelites with manna. Water comes from rock. He destroys the ten false gods of Egypt through sending the ten plagues. He's superior in every way. God does great things. But what they say when they see the ministry of Jesus so far is, what kind of man is this? that he's walking in this kind of authority. We already know from Matthew 7, his teachings carry authority. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. But now his words are bringing not just great teaching, but healing, deliverance, rescue from demonic realities, and peace to raging storms. What kind of man is this? They're shocked. They don't have a category for it. This man is walking in things, he's teaching, he's demonstrating things that we've never seen before. So, one more little quick story as we just flip the page and go over to Matthew chapter 9, just really quick. Matthew 9, there's this paralyzed man, he's brought by four friends. They bring this paralyzed man, laying him on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith after they tore up this dude's roof, he said to the man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Knowing their thoughts, the Pharisees are freaked out because only God can forgive sins. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know, listen to the phrase, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up and go home. And he was healed. His word now is also bringing forgiveness. What was it that the crowd was going home saying? Oh, God is really great, uh, sort of. But look, in verse 8, 
When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. They praised God, but what? Who had given such authority to man. Praising God who had given such authority to man. Why is this so significant? Why is it so significant that the disciples and now the crowds are like, we're praising God because this man is doing things that only God can do, but we know he's a man. He's here in our midst. This is so significant, but we have to ask, why is it so significant that Jesus is walking in this kind of authority? The authority given to humanity to rule over, to subdue, to be fruitful and multiply in the garden had been abdicated to the devil. Christ is walking in what Adam was meant to walk in, steward and increase. Romans 5 calls Jesus the second Adam, which was to walk in perfect communion with God as a son and as a priest and to carry and to share in the dominion, the authority and power with God as a king in God's kingdom, with Christ, with God being at the center. So what we see in Jesus is what God intended for Adam and for all of humanity to rule and subdue, to share in communion, proximity, intimacy, friendship with God, and to rule with God on behalf of God as his little kings and little queens. Again, in God's kingdom, not their own kingdom. Of course, the enemy wanted them to be their own gods, to rule their own kingdoms, to call their own shots, and it destroyed everything. And so Christ is, is coming on the earth fully God. He's Emmanuel, Matthew 1, But fully man, he's the son of God, son of man, and he's, he's relying on God moment by moment, breath by breath, step by step through the entirety of his ministry. And he's walking in a kind of authority that's causing his disciples and the crowds to go, what kind of man is this? This is why the temptation narratives are so significant. Something is happening here. Jesus, he hears that voice when he's baptized. The spirit descends on him, like a, on a bodily form, like a dove, and a voice says, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry, and immediately he's full of the Spirit. He's led by the Jordan, left the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the entirety of the temptation narratives is the devil trying to see if Jesus, the Son of Man, will reach across, obviously his perfect holy man, fully man, fully God, but he wants Jesus, the Son of Man, to use his godness to his own advantage. So he says, you know, turn the stones into bread. Build your identity on what you produce. Jump off a temple, cause the angel, Psalm 91, to catch you. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Build your identity on what you possess. He wants Jesus, the Son of Man, in the weakness of his humanity, to just use a little bit of his godness, his God nature, to his own advantage, which of course Paul says in Philippians 2.6, Jesus never used his own, his divinity to his own advantage. He emptied himself of his divine rights, taking the nature of a man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself as a love slave of the Father, a servant, a doulos. So the temptation is the enemy's like, just use a little of your God stuff, your nature, you could turn these stones to bread. You could jump off a temple and all the crowds would bow down and worship you. and be so amazed that you're levitating off the ground because the angels are catching you. Just worship me. Just like every other man before you, Jesus, give your authority to me 
and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You rule the world. We'll work out a sweet deal. It's all great. And so Jesus is like, no, I'm going to live on every word that comes from my father's mouth. Every word is my bread. No, I'm not going to just believe the lie that the, the, my father is impressed by huge acts of faith. I'm going to, every step is going to become my offering. And no, I'm not going to bow down and worship you, knucklehead, because all of my life is in love and sacrificial service to the father. Worship the Lord and serve him only. And so Jesus conquers the test in the wilderness so as to walk in the authority as a man with the Spirit of God resting upon him so that the entirety of his life and ministry, Jesus is revealing God's image to humanity and God's intention for humanity. This is what the entire ministry of Jesus is about. It is breathtaking. Look what it goes on to say. Jesus returned in Gal to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He he's full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and then he leaves in the power of the Holy Spirit. And guess what he quotes? As soon as he goes into the synagogue right after, he, he, he's initiated, he's baptized, he hears the Father's voice, I love you, I'm pleased with you. The Spirit lands on him, the Spirit leads him, he conquers the test. You are not going to derail me, Satan, to go down the path that every other man has gone down to build my identity on what I produce, how I perform, and what I possess, or platform I have, or power I wield. My identity is I'm the beloved son who's on mission to lay down my life for the sins of the world and to bring the reign and rule of God's kingdom to bear an ordinary human life by staying in step with the Holy Spirit. So he rolls up into the synagogue after all of this and he quotes Isaiah chapter 61 and it's breathtaking. Look, how he, look what he quotes. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone on the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The Holy Spirit never left Jesus throughout his entire teaching, proclaiming, healing, demonstrating the kingdom ministry. What kind of man is this? No one had ever seen a man that the Spirit could just rest upon and the kingdom of God could flow through because he just lived in perfect reliance, trust, love, and obedience with the Father. This is why it says in, in Psalm chapter 40, and then the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 quotes this extensively, that the sacrifice God always and only wanted was a heart fully given over. Sacrifices and offerings you didn't desire or please, but here I am. It's written about me in, my, in your scroll. I've come to do your will. It's my pleasure to just stay in step and in harmony and in submission. John chapter 6, verse 38. My, I came to do the will of my Father. My bread is to do his will, John 4, 34. And the, what's so shocking to the disciples and the crowds is this man, Jesus, is walking in such kingdom authority because he never gets out of alignment or agreement with Abba. 
This is unbelievable. This is, he's bringing the load, back to Willard's quote, he's bringing the load of God's kingdom reign, rule, and reality to bear an ordinary human life as the kingdom bearer, the kingdom bringer. This is so remarkable. The Spirit never left him. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he never operated in the power of the kingdom by using his Godness or relying on his, 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 he's fully God, remember, but he never used that to his own advantage or in his ministry. As the Son of God and the Son of Man, his authority and power flows by relying on the Father and the Father pouring out and the, the power and the presence and provision of the Spirit. So he goes on to say, and it says in Acts 10, 38, look at this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good, sound familiar, healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. I already quoted this, but Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It was because God was with him that Jesus was able to do all of his life in ministry. And in this way, Jesus is not the exception to the rule, except for in his sinlessness. That's the exception. But he's showing us how we're meant to live life in his yoke, following him, empowered by his spirit, yielded to his life-giving lordship, leadership, and love. As we stay under his yoke, we are meant to experience and continue in the ministry of his kingdom with him. This is what Jesus is doing. He's modeling it, demonstrating, proclaiming, teaching, healing. In his ministry, he's like, I want you to join my ministry. In Matthew 9, 35, he's praying, Lord, I want more laborers who will join me in my ministry. Where did he get his power from? Prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. His power as the Son of Man, the Son of God, came from staying in alignment and agreement with the Father and relying on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In particular, through relationship, alignment, agreement, he's accessing the power of God through a spirit of prayer that never left his life. Just look at this. This is unbelievable. When did Jesus pray? In the morning, very early, Mark 1.35. Often he'd go off and pray, Luke 5.16. I mean, he taught us to pray for daily bread. So every day was a, he had patterns and rhythms of prayer. At night, he would spend all night, Matthew 14.23. He would spend all night praying. Before big decisions like naming the 12 apostles, he'd spend an entire night in prayer. When his, when his disciples' faith is faltering, he's like, I prayed for all of you guys. Peter, restore your brothers when, when, when you're restored. Even before the cross, not my will, yours be done when he's, when he's contending in the garden. And even from the cross, he's praying, Father, forgive them. Jesus' entire life is one unbroken prayer. You want to know how to get power? Never stop being in dialogue, communion, relational enjoyment, and empowered partnership with the Father. For Jesus, it was through a life of prayer. There's just no refuting it. He never stopped relying upon his Father. Nothing was ever more important than doing what the Father was doing, saying what the Father was saying, going where the Father was leading, and then relying on the flow and life of the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest through his yielded yes and obedient heart. His whole life was a prayer. Screenshot that. 
This is where his power came from. He never left alignment and agreement with his Abba. The disciples knew this, which is why it's the one thing they asked. Lord, teach us to pray. They never said, teach us how to heal, teach us how to preach. I know people have said this before, but it's true. Read the Gospels. Teach us to pray like John's disciples taught him to pray. Our Father in heaven. You get the point. And then when the disciples were unable to do what God already, Jesus gave them authority to do in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 9, they can't drive out this, this de demonized boy. What's the answer to that? This kind can only come out through prayer and fasting. So it's the only thing they said, teach us to do, pray. And then number two, when they couldn't do what God, Jesus anointed them to do in the power of the Spirit, how come we couldn't do it? Because of prayer and fasting. Oh, and by the way, it's the one thing Jesus said, always do and never give up, which was pray in Luke chapter 18. So Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, He's walking, He's proclaiming the kingdom, He's bringing the yoke, he's, he's, His load is to bring the reign and rule and reality of God's kingdom to bear into ordinary human life. He's going, He's teaching, He's proclaiming, He's demonstrating, and how could He do it? The secret, the not-so-secret, is that lifestyle of prayer. He lived in reverent submission, it says in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 and 10. He never left the yoke of his father. Relationship with God. The reason why Jesus is walking in that kind of power is he didn't rely on himself. The spirit that came upon him at his baptism, the spirit that led him to the wilderness, will Jesus, the son of man, build, will he take the path of every other man before him? Stones to bread, temple jumping, bowing down, selling out, selling his soul to possess power and have a position of significance and, 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 and a platform where people know his name. He refused all the tests. He leaves the wilderness and the power of the Spirit and throughout his whole ministry, he never relied on himself or used the, his divinity to his own advantage. God was with him in the power of the Spirit. And this is why his whole life is one un unbroken prayer. This is where the power comes from. Relationship, relational reliance upon God in, through, and for all things. The power, God was with him, Acts 10, 38. We already said it. Because God anointed his son with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what made Jesus' whole life and ministry possible. Jesus never grieved the Spirit. He never quenched the Spirit. He never resisted the Spirit. He never insulted the Spirit. He never rejected the Spirit. He never lied to the Spirit. He never tested the Spirit. And certainly, He never blasphemed the Spirit. The Spirit never had to leave because Jesus' whole life was in reverent submission. Oh. Every step, every, every word was his bread. Every step was his offering. Every action, all of his attitudes, his character and conduct, his ministry is that love sacrifice to the Father. This is why power could just flow through him because it was, his, it was like, a, like a magnet. Jesus lived in trust, love, obedience, and reliance on the Spirit. And these are the magnets of God's power and provision. Prayer aligns us with God. It gives us access to all that he has. It gives us authority, anointing, and it puts all of the resources of heaven at our disposal. Jesus says, follow me, join my ministry, carry my yoke. I have, listen, what kind of man is this? He, God's with him. He's got authority. His words change things. His touch changes things. He's forgiving. He's healing. He's driving out demons. 
even his teaching, no one teaches like him. How is he doing this? His secret was prayer. He never left relational reliance upon God the Father, and his life was one that attracted the power and presence of Holy Spirit because he never grieved, I already said it, grieved, resisted, lied, quenched, tested, etc. The Spirit never had to leave because Jesus built his whole life as, a, as his home for the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit to fill, form, and flow. Fill, form, and flow. And it was this constant availability that Jesus gave himself over to the Father and the ministry of the Spirit so the kingdom of God could come on earth as, as it is in heaven. We're called to do the same thing. Jesus reveals God's image to humanity and God's intention for humanity. You and I, Jesus said at the very end of his ministry when he's about to ascend to the Father in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the key. He didn't grasp it. By living in reliance upon the Father and doing all that he did, teaching all that he taught, healing, driving out demons, administering healing, the kingdom of God, forgiving. He does all of this in submission and so that when he gives his life on the cross, the Father raises up his Son and now Christ, he's stripped the principalities and powers, Colossians 2, 9 through 15, of all their authority. He's driven out the prince of this world, John chapter 12, 31, John 14, John 15, he drove him out. He finished the work, John 17, the Father gave him to do and so he, he's risen and he, he's resurrected and he has he has the keys of life in Hades, Revelation 1, 17 and 18. And he's like, I've got it all now. Jesus has the name above all names and the Father seated him at his right hand, Ephesians 1, 22 and 3. Now he's head over everything for the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Oh my goodness, we are called to share in the ministry of Jesus by him pouring out that authority that he walked in as a man reliant upon the Father, submitted to the work and ministry of the Spirit so we could continue His ministry. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. This is what we're invited into. Jesus is praying for laborers. Oh my goodness, who will continue in His kingdom ministry and authority. He's just praying. He's contending. And He's like, now go out and disciple nations. Disciple them. Baptize them. Teach them to obey everything. Why? Because I, like, like the Father was pleased with me and like the Spirit never left me, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And so the question is, are you aligned? Are you accessing, you walking the authority and anointing of all the resources of heaven? Or are you reliant upon yourself? Are you like Peter? One moment, you're the son of God. Next moment, you don't have to die because you're just consumed just with human concerns and human thoughts and agendas. You're living out of the kingdoms of this world, not the kingdom of God. As a disciple of Jesus, the mantra, the banner over our life is on earth as it is in heaven, in my marriage as it is in heaven, in my kids' lives as it is in heaven, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in the places I come and in the places I go, on earth as it is in heaven. We're in the yoke with Jesus. The load that we're carrying with him is to bring the reality, the reign and rule of God's kingdom to bear in everyday ordinary human life through God's supernatural power, means, and measures. Friends, this is what he's inviting us into. This is what shocked the crowds. What kind of man is this? Jesus Christ 
has restored us to be sons and daughters of the Father, to be citizens of the kingdom of life, the kingdom that has no shelf life, that will last forever, the government of which is on the shoulders of King Jesus himself. He's called us to be priests and kings, to reign and rule with God, to continue in the ministry of Jesus, pressing into Jesus, pouring out for Jesus. This is our unbelievable inheritance in the grace of God. Will you step into it? I love John chapter 1, 12. It says that we, we have the right, the, the, the Greek is exousios, the authority, the power. By trusting in Jesus, we become sons and daughters of God. Born again, John 3, 3 through 7, into the kingdom of God so that we can see it, taste it, share it, extend it, embody it, engage with it, express it. This is what God's grace is available to everyone who's watching this through Jesus Christ, the way, truth, and life, the way to the Father, the way into the kingdom to experience it, to explore it, to embody it, and to express it in the everyday ordinary step of life by living in step with the Spirit. So, Father, I just cry out in the name of Jesus that you would just take us deeper, take us deeper into this truth, into this reality of Christ's authority, that we would live in the fullness of what Christ demonstrated for us. He invites us to join his ministry by living a lifestyle of prayer and reliance upon the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit through a lifestyle of prayer with anointing, access, authority, all the resources available in the heavenly realms through Christ are available to us as we pick up the yoke of Jesus. And in the yoke of Jesus, we realize his whole life was one unbroken prayer through patterns and practices and rhythms of prayer, pressing in and then pouring out, pressing in and then pouring out. Lord, would you bring us into this same reality that our King Jesus made available to us in his grace and by his spirit in Jesus' name, amen. Man, if, if I can help in any way, shape, or form, whether you're watching this somewhere around the country or world, either getting plugged into a local church community, or if you're looking for a church community here on the Central Coast, we'd love to have you join Radiant Central Coast. Love you guys. Please leave a comment if there's any way you need to grow in your discipleship or connection to resources or people. I'd love to help in any way, shape, or form. Bless you.